everybody. So uh, wonderful to be with you today. Uh, today's reading of the Transfiguration. Uh, this is one where, I know I say it like every week, but I really mean it this time. The, the Transfiguration is maybe, it's at the top of the list in terms of the richness of this biblical text. This is something that you should study. It's something you should pray with. It's something that you should let penetrate your heart. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of it today, but boy, is there amazing things behind what's happening in our gospel. <clears throat> the, the Feast of Booths, if you don't know what that is, that's your homework for the week. The Feast of Booths is a Jewish feast that's fulfilled today uh, at the Transfiguration. One brief note, and then uh, <clears throat> we'll jump into our main topic, because I always need to have two homilies, you know this. Uh, but just a note, actually. So in the Eastern Church, so in Eastern Christianity, today's uh, gospel of the Transfiguration is considered the beginning of the liturgy. It's considered the source of all sacramental liturgy. And the reason is this, is that Jesus' humanity today Something physical, something earthly, is the vehicle through which divine glory passes out into this world. Which is exactly what happens at this altar every day. And so in the Eastern Church, they understand the transfiguration as the beginning of liturgy. I think it's so beautiful. But today I want to talk to you about Christian hope. There's so many things we could talk about with the transfiguration, but today's, today's day is a day of tremendous hope. Not earthly hope, but Christian hope. So about um, five or six years ago, it was a hard time in my priesthood. And today what I want you to think about a little bit is maybe, maybe a difficult time in your life that you've experienced. Maybe it's right now. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's coming. Maybe there's times in the future that'll be difficult. But five or six years ago, I was really struggling. And I was wrestling with, I, I love my priesthood, I love Jesus, but I was struggling with, with being celibate. And when I was in seminary in my, in my 20s, it seemed so easy. And it seemed like it would always just be easy. And in my mid-30s, as I was kind of really settling into priesthood, there was a moment in my, in my life where I just thought, Lord, I love you. And I love being a priest, but I also, I struggle. And am I really, is this what it is? Am I, am I never going to be married? And I was struggling with that really hard. Right about the same time, our community, the Companions of Christ, we uh, took a pilgrimage to Italy, to Rome, and it was our, our 10-year anniversary of the starting of our community. It was also the 25th anniversary of the community of the Companions in Minnesota. As so all of us together, we took a pilgrimage. We went to Rome and Assisi, and... Uh, the truth about the companions is that I'm one of the softest guys in the community. Um, I just am. And so we went over there, 
and we flew to uh, Rome. We got there late at night, and we drove straight to Assisi, which, I don't know, it's an hour and a half, two-hour drive. We went to Assisi, and we got there, and I was just exhausted from the, the plane flight. And right when we got there, the, the leaders announced, great news, everybody, we have an audience with the Pope tomorrow morning. We're all getting up at 4.30 to drive back to Rome. And I was like, this is the headline back in, in Denver is going to say, Denver priest kills 26 other priests. <laughs> and I just couldn't believe it. And so we did. We got up at like 4 in the morning, 4.30. And we went, I was like, we were just in Rome. And we drove back to Rome. And the pilgrimage was a little bit like that. Every day it was packed and we had multiple holy hours and we were doing all these and they were great things but I was worn out and exhausted and so <clears throat> before we had left a couple of us thought it might be that way and we went to the head of the companions here in Denver Father Brady and we asked him if we could we tried to convince him that we should stay a couple extra days and go to a coastal town and actually rest and it was a miracle, so thank you, Jesus. Somehow, you made him say yes. I don't know how you did that one. But it was a miracle, and Father Brady agreed to it. And so we finished kind of our time in Rome and Assisi, and the Denver guys, we went off to the coast, and we spent, I think, three days much more low-key sleeping in and just relaxing. But I was struggling. And it was a hard time in life for me. And the place we were at, there was a the house we rented. We had a deck, and it was right on the ocean. And every night, I would sit on the deck in a perfect melancholic moment. And I would sit on the deck, and I would just watch the sunset. And just, I was just praying and wrestling with God. And it was a very powerful time. But I was wrestling with this, and I was wrestling with loneliness. I was wrestling with hardship. And I would just look out at the ocean and pray. And there was a powerful song that I was listening to at that time. I think I've talked about it before. If you haven't heard it, I really encourage you to listen to it. It's from a guy named Josh Gerrels. He's a very devout Christian. And he has a song called Beyond the Blue. Beyond the blue. And I would sit and I was listening to that and it was kind of forming my mind and my heart and my imagination. And what happens is when you look out and, and Josh Gerrels is talking about heaven. And here's today what I want to talk to you about. About Christian hope. Christian hope. And so Josh Gerrels, what he says in that song is he's, he's on the ocean in, this, in, the, in the music and he says, he talks to God and he says, I will let go of all the things I can't hold on to for the hope I have in you. And he calls that hope, the hope that we have in Christ, he calls it the hope beyond the blue. And that imagery, if you think about it, if you've ever been to the ocean, 
You look at the ocean and you look at the horizon, the very, the most natural thing for us as humans is when you see the, the horizon of the ocean, it almost evokes this desire in you to want to know what's beyond it. Right? And I did that, sitting, sitting on the Italian coast, there's this desire for something beyond. What's beyond that horizon? And today, this morning, brothers and sisters, I want to talk to you about that hope that God has for you. God has a hope for you beyond the horizon, beyond the things of this world. He has a hope for you that is greater than all the things you hope for. But as Josh Carroll says, if you're going to go to that horizon, right, if you're going to go out past the horizon, and there is a horizon of this world where our normal hopes take shape, but there's something beyond it. But to get there, you have to let go of some of the things in this world. And so Josh Carroll says, he says, Lord, I'll let go. If that hope is real, if that hope beyond the blue, if the hope that I have in you, if that's real, Jesus, I can let go of these things that I could never possess anyways. This is what the transfiguration's about. It's what it's about. All of us, we all have worldly hopes, and that's that's not a bad thing. We all have hopes, you know, maybe maybe after mass today, maybe you're going back to your house and you're you know, it's, it's spring forward and you're going to spring clean and you think, you know, by the end of today's spring cleaning, my house will be on the cover of Better Homes and Gardens, <laughs> right? And I'll have that perfectly edged lawn and my kids will no longer break things or make them sticky. Good luck with that one. We all have certain hopes. They're not bad. And, and we look around and we say, you know, Jesus, I would be happy, I would be fulfilled if my home just had things. This is my friend Andy who goes to Lourdes. He always says when you have kids, everything you own is either broken, lost, or sticky. Which I'm like, that's the best line ever. Uh, but maybe you're like, you know what? Maybe, Lord, if my kids would just stop breaking things or somehow getting everything sticky, maybe then I'd be happy. Um, deeper level, right? Maybe sometimes in your marriage... You look around and you say, gosh, if our marriage just looked like those marriages over there, maybe then I'd be happy. Maybe then I'd be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, God made you for one thing. One thing. And it's to behold his glory. Those earthly hopes are all good. But beyond them, there is the only hope that can fulfill your heart.
the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they got a taste of eternal glory. If you saw that, if you and I were so privileged to see what the three men, those three disciples saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, if we saw that, we would never desire anything else. So Christianity, right, the, the, the temptation out there is to think people in the world caricature us and they say, Christians, you know, what Christians do is they shut off their hearts. And they suffer, they have kind of a boring life, and then maybe they can get into heaven at the end. That is a lie from hell. Christianity is not the story of men and women who shut off their hearts. Christianity is the story of men and women who encountered a beauty so great that their hearts came alive. And that beauty makes us incapable of giving our hearts to the world. Our happiness can't be here. Partially, there are good things in this world. Of course there are. But your heart, and this is the main thing I think that God wants to say to us today, brothers and sisters, whatever may happen in your life, whatever good may come, Right, if your marriage is the healthiest marriage in Denver, your children are wonderful and they grow up and, and they're everything they should be, you will still desire for something beyond that horizon. God made your heart for the transcendent. As St. Augustine says so famously at the start of his autobiography, St. Augustine says, O Lord, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And this, by the way, is the secret of Lent. You might think Lent, okay, Lent, this year I'm going to be a little more disciplined. That's great. That's a good thing. The secret of Lent, though, and what the Christian life and what this season has for us is not that you and I would simply be more disciplined. It's that our desire for God would be greater. It's that we would love the things of this world a little bit less, and our hearts would yearn for that hope that's beyond the blue. St. Gregory of Nyssa says this, He says, once the soul, striving for the heights, has begun to share in so far as it can in the divine benefits, right? When your soul reaches to those heights and God blesses you and you see you're on Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, and you taste a just fleeting glimpse of the glory of God in the face of Christ, once the soul striving for the heights has begun to share in the divine benefits, then once more the word, meaning Jesus, draws it as though it were still at the start of its ascent. Once again, he says, arise to one who has already arisen and come to one who has already come. 
You see, Christianity, brothers and sisters, is about the desires of your heart. Christians are not men and women with lesser desires. They are men and women with greater desires. And so Gregory of Nyssa says, when God calls you, there's that desire, that burning in your heart. And you draw closer to Jesus, you see his glory. God says again, arise. Come deeper. Expand your desire. St. Gregory of Nyssa goes on. He says, in truth, to rise at all, right? To leave behind the worldly hope, the hope that is in our horizons, and to rise to the hope that is beyond that horizon. In truth, to rise at all, one must rise forever. And for those who run towards the Lord, there will always be a greater distance to cover. The word demands that one constantly arise and never cease to run forward. And every time he gives the grace of a greater advance. You know what heaven is? Heaven is the perfect union of fulfillment and ever greater desire for God. In heaven, you and I will both be fulfilled but our desire will ever increase. And we'll say, Jesus, you have fulfilled my heart. Your glory, your beauty, your goodness fulfills me. But I know it never ends and I desire it even more. And so the desire of my heart expands. This is what heaven is about. All of our readings say about this. If you want to be good at Lent, right? People every year, they say, Father Brian, I'm not good at Lent. I'm like, get over it, right? <laughs> Nobody is. When anybody says they're good at Lent, I'm like, uh-huh, sure you are. I'm like, let me, let me give you a better penance for Lent then. <laughs> you want to be good at Lent? Lent isn't about just I'm hardcore and I'm strong and I'm disciplined. That's good. Lent is that you are on the Mount of Transfiguration. You saw the glory of God. And we know what that means. It means you can go to the cross. For one who has not seen glory, whose heart has not been transformed by the beauty of Jesus Christ, those people, we can't go to the cross. It's too hard. But if your heart has seen the glory of God, you can do anything. Our, our second reading today in Philippians. The end of our reading. St. Paul talks about how there's a group of people who their, their minds and their hearts are set on earthly things. It's in that horizon of the ocean. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The perfect house, the perfect marriage, the perfect friendship, those are good things. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it, we await a Savior. That heart of yours, that soul that you have, brothers and sisters, God created it with a desire for the infinite. Lent is about getting in touch with that desire. It's not about desiring less, it's about desiring the things that actually matter. The hope beyond the blue. I want to leave you with one last thought today. At the heart of Christianity is beauty. The word, the word glory, we use glory to, to distinguish earthly beauty from divine beauty. Glory is the beauty that is beyond this world. N.T. Wright says this. He says the shoulder-shrugging functionalism of post-war architecture, right? After World War II in Europe, you have a lot of architecture that's no longer beautiful. It's only functional. Gets the job done, but it doesn't touch your heart. The shoulder-shrugging functionalism of post-war architecture coupled with the passivity born of decades of television has meant that for many people, the world appears to offer little but bleak urban landscapes on the one hand and tawdry entertainment on the other. I had to look up the word tawdry. He's a Brit, so I think that's a British word. Tawdry means flashy but of low quality. Isn't that true? How many people today, they're kind of bored with life, and all there is is entertainment. And here's the key line. When people cease to be surrounded by beauty, they cease to hope. When people cease to be surrounded by beauty, they cease to hope. When I was in, in Italy, right, the only thing that can conquer the temptations of this world and the struggles and the difficulty is a more beautiful hope. That's the only thing that will make you a real Christian. So this Lent, as you go through the rest of it, I bet you've already screwed up on your Lenten penance. So have I. I've already messed it up. What will be better for your Lent and what will make you go through the discipline of Lent is a hope that's greater. Jesus, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow in my life, your glory touched my poverty. Lord, and it ruined my heart. It made my heart only capable of desiring something beyond this world. Jesus, may your glory today transform us. May it give us a hope that's, that's beyond the blue, that is beyond the horizon of this world. Jesus, may our desire be to ever seek you. In seeking you, may we be fulfilled. And in finding our fulfillment, May we seek evermore after you.